We've got 2024 NHL draft episode for you today, starting with updates on Macklin Celebrini. We'll talk about Alexander Zetterberg, and then we'll end things off with a potential injury for Ivan Demidov. All coming up on today's episode of Locked On NHL Prospects. You are Locked On NHL Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome back to Locked On NHL Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On this podcast, we break down everything prospects related for you five days a week, Monday to Friday. I'm Hattie Kellekesh, joined by Sebastian High, and we're going to focus on the 2024 NHL draft for today's episode. We've got updates on Macklin Celebrini and Ivan Demidov coming up. Um, we'll also introduce you to Alexander Zetterberg, uh, another 2024 NHL draft eligible that's caught a couple eyes. So we'll get right into it. Before we get into that, though, um, so I want to remind you, this episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50-plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe. Leave us a comment letting us know what you want us to talk about next. And if you're listening on your favorite podcasting platform, make sure to make us your first listen of the day. So let's get started with Macklin Celebrini here. Um, in his opening game, scored a really good goal. Um, for uh, Boston University. Uh, he's going to be playing a lot with Lane Hudson, who uh, we talked about this last episode, but he played 36 minutes. So Celebrini's going to see a lot of minutes with Hudson on the ice there. Um, so yeah, what's what's your take on his, uh, on his first game so far? What do you like about kind of what he produced in that game, just to kind of get us started here? I love to see that uh, Celebrini played the exact style that he's been playing in, against every level of competition that I've seen him play against, uh, both in the USHL and internationally. Uh, he was really controlling the pace on the ice. He was a consistently threatening uh, like, like rush attacker. He's constantly creating off the rush. And I think one of the things that makes him so dangerous in those situations is that he's so, so capable at layering all those tools together to mm -hmm. form a very, very cohesive package. And mm -hmm. uh, he's a very strong handler. He has a very, very fluid top hand, and he constantly weaponizes that to consistently change the angles of both like his release, but also like in terms of faking passes or in faking going one direction before uh, quickly explosively skating in the other. And uh, he's he's one of the better prospects in the last like two years in terms of uh, being very, very deceptive with the puck on a stick when attacking defenders head on on his own. He's a very, very I've seen him score so many goals while just taking on defenders like in, like a one v three or one v two situation. And he consistently fools them and gets yeah. a decently medium or high danger scoring chance out of it. And I love to see that that he was still able to do that almost as easily seemingly as he was in the USHL in this mm -hmm. first game. And of course, it's one game. And in your first NCAA game, the adrenaline's rushing and not necessarily always the, the case that's gonna, going to continue in the same way. But mm -hmm. this is a player with so much skill, but also so much intelligence in terms of knowing how to use his skills most effectively to create advantages for his team that... I'm very hopeful for Macklin Celebrini this season. I think he's going to light up the NCAA, and uh, he's not going to be stuck on that third line at Boston University for very long. 
Yeah, I think it's just a matter of time before we see him get consistent top six minutes in Boston. But, um, I mean, you, you look at his game kind of in a vacuum outside of what we saw in the NCAA. Well, let's focus on kind of his last season and 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 start there and kind of work our way towards kind of the U18 Worlds and the Helen Gregorski Cup and like all, all the situations we've seen him in. Like for me, what stands out the most is that rush, that rush offense ability and that understanding of, of how to identify, exploit and switch lanes um, constantly. Um, that's one thing that I've seen regularly from, from Macklin Celebrini. He's a really good rush scorer. Um, I have a bit of questions about his positioning on, on the cycle. Um, there are some situations where I feel like he either overcommits on one side or forgets, you know, a teammate on the other, that kind of stuff. I mean, he's he's a work in progress, obviously. But, you know, you look at the full package. He's a great scorer, great stick handler, great playmaker, um, really good vision. Um, I, I'd say across the board, there are a lot of, of tools that he has that are above average or well above average. Um I can't point to necessarily anything and call it elite, but he's just such an overwhelmingly kind of well-rounded offensive player. Um, anything you want him to do, he can do uh, in the offensive zone. Um, you know, utilizing a skating better, learning to use those lanes better, um, could, could kind of exp- can, can, could kind of uh, unlock a side of his game that I think we haven't seen yet. Um, I want to see him make these little adjustments on the cycle to find those little pockets of space and be perfectly spaced out between all the opposing players on the ice. Um, kind of like we see with a Cole Caulfield, for example, Cole Caulfield's really good at that. He knows exactly the distance between a defender and a forward to kind of place himself right there and have just enough time to fire off uh, a really good shot. I want to see Celebrini kind of explore that area, but yeah, like for you, what makes him special? I think it's his ability to execute plays at the highest speeds and i also think it's part a slight part of a weakness as well i think that it it really is the basis of his rush attacking he processes the game so quickly and Mm -hmm. he's always at his best in my eyes when he is moving at at or near top speed because he's so capable of executing every tool he has at those paces that it's just so, so difficult for defenders to, to control him or contain him. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, because, because of that, I think that he's slightly reliant on that speed and on that pace in terms of actually creating. And yeah. on the cycle, he can be a little bit more static because he's, when he's not in, in motion, he has to kind of figure out different ways to solve problems where mm-hmm. it's not just with his feet and not just with... Uh, the the extreme pace he can play with on the rush. Mm-hmm. So I think that one of the things that's, that's so special with him is that he is able to do all of these really, really high-end things at the highest speeds. Like, there's no mm-hmm. concern in terms of him being able to execute, uh, like, like his playmaking or his, his uh, handling speed as well, right, mm-hmm. at the NHL level against NHL competition because he's already shown that he can do it at the highest possible speed. It's yeah. more, as you said, on the cycle where when he doesn't have that speed element to his game, he mm-hmm. has to find some other like outlets and other ways of showing off that creativity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we kind of see a difference between him and a guy like Ivan Demidov, who excels in those small area, low, almost like, 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 like low pace environments inside the offensive mm-hmm. zone in those pockets, where you just do make like one move to gain like a foot of separation from a defender. And that's mm-hmm. all you really need to, to get a shot on net or to open up a new passing lane. And mm-hmm. for Celebrina, that's still more of a work in progress in my eyes. Mm-hmm. That said, 
this is a player who I think his versatility is what makes him so special too. Like, mm-hmm. yes, there are still some weaknesses, obviously. Like, this is a 17-year-old hockey player. Like, uh, this, yeah. this is not a finished product by any means. But mm-hmm. he can do, as you said, so many things at such a high level. And this is not one of those players where we're saying, oh, he's so well-rounded, or that can be a criticism. It really is a testament to his mm-hmm. game of it being really, really impressive because mm-hmm. you can plop him in in just about any situation, and he will be one of the best players on your team in that situation pretty much yeah and that is very very special uh, for a player of this age also considering that he's already doing this in the ncaa like in that first game like yes it's a one game sample we're not going to get ahead of ourselves here Mm -hmm. but he showed me that he can do everything that he was doing against the ushl against ncaa competition yeah he he didn't look out of place at all no 100 i mean oh no he seemed very much to seem in, to, to fit in seamlessly um, with the NCAA. My question is, um, how does he adapt to the NHL? Because right now we're looking at a player who constantly outspeeds a lot of players and now processes them in terms of processing speed. But when he gets to a level where everyone has the same pace uh, of, of you know physical pace and, and mental pace as he does, you know he's going to have to find other ways to in, in, impact the game. Um, I'm curious to see how that develops in the NCAA because he will be facing tougher and tougher competition as he as he goes into that top six and he might be facing some future top six NHLers or, or top four defensemen in the NHL that kind of thing uh, and that'll that'll that's a good introduction for a draft year player to how it is to play in the NHL um, but the NHL as we always say is a very different beast uh, and it's it's extremely it's extremely difficult to adapt on the fly in the NHL. You need to head into that with a bit of an idea of how to make it work. Um, so I'm hoping to see that from Celebrini. I think an extra year in the SAA in this draft plus one could help him out a lot um, in terms of getting kind of up to speed on that. But I wouldn't be surprised either to see, see him in kind of a bottom six role in the NHL or that kind of thing. But he's a very exciting prospect. I'm looking forward to kind of see what happens on that side. But that wraps things up for our first segment. We'll head into our second segment where we talk about um, Alexander Zetterberg, a prospect uh, from the 2024 NHL draft that isn't too talked about right now, but has caught my eye a bit. Uh, we'll get into that right after these messages at Locked on NHL Prospects. Don't get caught unprepared. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones when the unexpected hits. That's why Jace Medical offers the Jace case. The Jace case provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use and gives you peace of mind uh, knowing that you won't have to rel- you, you don't, won't have to worry about supply chains uh, or not getting your meds on time or you know having to go somewhere when you're sick, for example, a pharmacy to get your medication. All you really do with, uh, with Jace Medical, it's a very simple process. You just fill out a form or in some cases talk to a one of their licensed physicians and within a couple of days you've got um the jace case coming in in mail uh and it's got five life life-saving antibiotics that can help you when you've got a sinus infection a throat infection ear infection whatever kind of infection you've got they can help you out with that um they handle everything from online evaluation to licensed ph- pharmacy medication delivery and ongoing consultation and care so don't get caught unprepared you can get 20 dollars off on these life-saving antibiotics today from Jace Medical by using the code locked on at checkout on jacemedical.com. That's J A S E medical.com. All right, so moving on to our second segment, we'll talk about Alexander Zetterberg. Um, he is a player out of Sweden uh, who plays for Odebro, uh, the, the Swedish um, program over there. They produce Leo Carlson. Um, that's how I got my first viewing in on um, on Alex Satterberg. It was very, very early last year in the J18 and J20 leagues. 
Um, I had heard of him. I'd heard that he was a really good playmaker, but I had yet to kind of see him at um, a higher level, uh, playing against better competition. And having watched him recently, um, you know, having watched one of his games uh, in, in this early season, um, there are some very clear strengths with Zetterberg, but also some very clear setbacks in this game. Um, I'll start the, with the strengths because they're, they're really fun. Um, he is an amazing playmaker. Um, his vision and awareness on the ice is so impressive. I mean, there, there were moments where I thought that he was kind of hemmed in. He had three players around him and he kind of put the puck on his backhand and saucered it over a couple sticks right out, right on a teammate's stick who was coming streaking, who you couldn't even see on camera. Uh, but but he saw him and it was just there are some small details like that I often look for saucer passes and area passes and those kind of little elements to see if a player's playmaking is refined and especially if they, if they have that hockey sense because to play an area pass you need to kind of read the game in advance you kind of need to know how, how fast your player's coming in and what area they're going to hit at just the right time for your pass to get to them so Alex Zetterberg is really impressive when it comes to that um there are some weaknesses in this game, though. I'll start with the most obvious. He's 5'8", a buck 50, so, so, soaking wet. I mean, he's not oh, by yeah. any means a big guy. Um, let's focus on that for a sec. I mean, how how do you see that impact his game overall? And how do you see that impact a lot of prospects games that head into the draft? Yeah, I think when you're looking at prospects that are like probably like, what, sub 160 pounds, uh, that is quite a large concern yeah. in terms of just how they play the game and how they can be effective against high levels of competition. Because, look, Zetterberg is a player who has been playing exclusively junior hockey in Sweden. Mm -hmm. And at least as of right now, there are definitely still questions in my mind of, how he would look if you were playing against professional competition in the SHL, for instance, even if it were just a couple games, I'd, I just want to see how he would fare against that high end pressure and physicality yeah. because as, he's so, so slippery and against uh, junior defenders, he can gain separation in a blink of an eye by just falling into their blind spots. And he mm -hmm. gains that separation so quickly off puck that yeah. uh, he's really quite able to avoid any situations where he has to like play physical or protect mm -hmm. the puck against uh, like a defenseman or, or any player for that matter, mm -hmm. uh, who is really encroaching on his face and is, is applying that heavy pressure. Just mm -hmm. doesn't happen too, too often with him because he's so intelligent and he sees the game so well and he's able mm -hmm. to avoid it. But that's a little bit concerning to me because in those viewings, it's like, yes, he's displaying some really impressive tools, but he's also kind of running away from his weaknesses rather than confronting them against yeah. junior competition. You need those which, reps. You need those reps for sure. Yeah. And it also, like, yeah, I, I'm hoping he's going to get a couple games with the Raybro in, uh, in, the, in the SHL this season because mm -hmm. he won't. I assume he won't be able to, do, to, to to be quite as escapable as he is right now against junior competition yeah. there. And I think that's where, where you'll really see just how high-end his processing speed is. Because mm -hmm. as of right now, it's very clear that his vision is is borderline elite. Like, it's, mm -hmm. it's really high-end. But high -end, yeah. in terms of how quickly he's able to process different situations and how quickly he's able to find solutions to complex problems he doesn't really get himself into situations where he has to display that as of right now mm -hmm. because he's thinking the game's so far ahead of everyone else. Mm -hmm. But as you said, he is really, really small. And yeah, there, there are definitely some aspects there that, that concern me. But as you said, he's so much fun. And uh, mm -hmm. I mean, 
we're always going to be fans of players who display above average skill and well above average intelligence. But there are definitely some some physical tools there that haven't really been tested yet, and uh, they might not really pass many tests uh, when they exactly. do Exactly. Yeah, no, and, that, and that's the thing. I mean, it's one thing to be small. It's, it's another thing to not be able to handle those situations at all because you escape them every chance you get. And I feel like that's more where Alex Ederberg's kind of profile lies is you look at a player like him who really has the high-end skill and awareness to play in tight quarters, to play in tight space, and make really good plays in tight space. But... If he's not, you know, if he if he's avoiding those situations at all costs off the puck, if he's consistently trying to evade pressure and evade, um, you know, he, he doesn't invade space. He kind of avoids it as yeah. much as possible. And, you know, when you're small, you have to play that invasive style. You have to play in tight quarters. You have to not be afraid of, of, of getting hit because that's how you're going to make plays is you're going to draw a player in to come and hit you because he's like, oh, this guy's small. I can just go ahead and, and shove him out of the way. And then you make a pass, you know, in his blind spot behind his back. You, you know, you draw him in in order to open up a teammate. And all of a sudden you get a you get a, your teammate a prime scoring chance. Like if you want to be an, an undersized playmaker, I feel like Johnny Goudreau is exactly the, the, the kind of the kind of blueprint you should be following, right? Um, and, you know, Goudreau, as much as he's not a physical player, that doesn't mean that he can that he consistently tries to escape uh, physical situations. It doesn't mean that he's not going to go to the boards. It doesn't mean that he's not going to just shove his head through the middle of the ice and try to create something. That's exactly what Goudreau does, is he constantly works in tight quarters, works in tight space around a lot of players from the opposing team that are twice his size and still comes out with the puck because he's a lot mm. more daring than people assume that he will be due to his size. Um, Alex Zetterberg has a pathway to the NHL. It's just not the way that he's playing right now. But the skill set is so high-end that if you can get him to play with more dare, with more... Um, you know, with more of that kind of dog in him that you, you love to see from undersized players, like, yeah. you know, I don't know, Zach Benson, Jaden Perron. Uh, Benson was the name, yeah. 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 <laughs> Benson's see, the guy that I would try to model some aspects off of if I were yeah. uh, Alex Zetterberg. But, mm. I mean, as you said, there's a bunch of tools that, 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 that Zetterberg has that are so, so enticing. Uh, there are few players that I've surveyed in this draft class so far who can outperform Zetterberg in terms of uh, constantly staying in motion in the offensive zone and yep. constantly, constantly creating space for himself and teammates. He's mm-hmm. he's a little like a buzzsaw out there in terms mm-hmm. of his off-puck movement. And while it's often slightly perimeter-based and mm-hmm. doesn't always get to the slot in that, in that off-puck movement, He's really, really capable at creating space for himself around the hash marks, for instance, and mm-hmm. whether he's opening himself up as a one-time option or is opening up, up passing lanes for teammates, either way, he is creating some chaos in the offensive zone just by virtue of his off-puck movement. And that's a great, great thing to work off of as a foundation, mm-hmm. but that on its own will not get a player to get to the NHL either. Makes sense for sure. And for those wondering, um, no relation to uh, the Detroit Red Wings player. Uh, He has a brother who also (laughs) plays hockey, but um, he's not anybody's son that we know uh, in the NHL. Uh, But that wraps things up for uh, the second segment. We'll head into our third segment where we talk about Ivan Dimitrov potentially getting injured. Um, We'll talk about this coming up on today's episode of Lockdown NHL Prospects. The NHL season is finally here. And that's why I want to tell you about Sleeper. 
Sleeper is my go-to platform for daily fantasy sports and especially daily fantasy hockey. With Sleeper, you have a chance to win 100 times your cash on daily fantasy. The NHL has never been more exciting than it is right now. With star players ranging from Connor McDavid to Sidney Crosby to Kale McCarr and NHL rookie Connor Bedard. Simply select more or less based off of their stats, such as goals, assists, points, saves, and more, to create the strongest lineup that you possibly can. Sleeper offers 100 times payouts, so start paying attention. Make the right picks, and you could win big. Use promo code LOCKEDONNHL, and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. That's LOCKEDONNHL. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. All right, so moving on to our final segment, we'll be talking about Ivan Demidov potentially getting injured. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about kind of what happened with that and how that kind of affects his projections. It's It looked pretty serious, right? I mean, he, he, he fell kind of knee first into the board. His nef- left knee hit the boards, and it, it really did not look good. There are reports, unconfirmed, but kind of speculations that it could be a 10-week absence, which would put him... Um, outside of the range for the World Junior Championship, which is not ideal um, for a player of Dimitrov's caliber. Um, first, let's talk about kind of how how impactful this injury could be for a player who relies a lot on his skating to create, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was a really scary fall. Like he he fell really straight into the post and then crashed into the boards right after. Like everything, I think, was hurting after yeah. that fall and. A knee injury specifically would be really, really concerning, and that that's entirely speculative at this point, just looking at how he fell. Uh, but if it is a knee injury, uh, and considering that 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 look, Dimitrov is a player who excels because of his high end agility, and a lot mm-hmm. of that comes from very explosive lower body movements, mm-hmm. and that puts a lot of stress on the knees. Like the knee, the knees are really, really key to how yeah. Dimitrov approaches the game. And uh, that, that kind of makes that injury a little bit scarier in my eyes because it really could target his specific style of play. Mm-hmm. But uh, fingers crossed that it's a lot more tame than it looked like in that mm-hmm. replay. But uh, look, knee injuries happen quite often in hockey and they're, like, there are really, really good rehabilitation things that, that, that every hockey player will do in, if they do get mm-hmm. injured. And Dimitrov is part of like what one of the, the two biggest organizations in the KHL is going to have access to some of the best doctors around. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, definitely a scary fall and fingers crossed he's able to recover quickly. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you look at a player like Dimitrov, who, like you said, relies a lot on um, agility, on explosive lateral movements in order to kind of create that space. Um like the best case scenario is he comes back post World Juniors, picks up right where he left off, uh, and we're not talking about this injury any further. But for me, what I see as a worst case scenario is he comes back and he's not playing the same. Um, if you have a player who's having to change the way that he approaches a game, having to change the way that he creates offense or plays a game, I mean, you're basically asking him to relearn the ins and outs of how to kind of build offense you're asking him to kind of revolutionize the way that he plays based on an injury that's extremely worrisome if we see that situation 
you know, after that post-World Juniors break, um, you know, even though Russia's not kind of performing, the World Juniors break really kind of solidifies a lot of rankings as we go on. Um, not having yeah. him kind of be a prominent figure even in the KHL, um, you know, within that conversation as scouts are kind of building the rankings and trying to kind of separate players in terms of skill sets. We're talking about a player who is, you know, really really skillful but this injury could kind of muddle things a bit especially in any shell scout size who will have concerns especially since k shell teams aren't necessarily the most um uh the most explicit regarding what's going on with their players their their cards aren't on the table they're you know they're, they're pretty reserved in terms of the information that they provide so how do you think overall this kind of impacts Ivan Demidov's rankings? And do you think that he can slip, you know, outside the top 10 and become a steal potentially, that kind of thing? Um, what do you see regarding that? I think outside the top 10 would be difficult to yeah. justify considering uh, the abilities that he has. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're saying this right now. Like, who, who knows what the rest of the season here is going to hold? I just... I, I know that if I'm picking ninth overall, I I can't see a world where I'm passing on Ivan Demidov. Uh, mm-hmm. But that said, uh, players getting injured in their draft seasons inevitably make them fall in the draft. Like it just mm-hmm. it it happens, right? Like yeah. Kibi Haru is likely going to fall further than if he hadn't gotten injured. And mm-hmm. if this Demidov injury is as bad as it looked live. Uh, he might also fall a couple more slots than than he should or otherwise would have. Uh, that said, uh, you always do see late risers in the draft, right? Mm-hmm. Like we've, we've seen the last couple seasons. I mean, going back to the 2022 draft, uh, who would have thought that Slavkovsky was going was going to be picked first overall before the World Championships? Yeah. No one, nobody, yeah. right? Like, and that was in April. So you, you, you always do have these late shifts in draft rankings. So. Mm-hmm. While, yes, you do see some players uh, early on in the draft cycle solidify themselves as those top 10 caliber talents, and I'd mm-hmm. argue that Demidov already has done that, uh, mm-hmm. but you, there's always an opportunity later on the season, even going on to like the, le- the latest international competitions, which is obviously more difficult with, with Demidov being a Russian prospect because they're not really mm-hmm. in the, the big competitions. But mm-hmm. there's always an opportunity to kind of bounce back in those draft rankings. And uh, we year after year, we see players jump like 15 plus slots between like March and April rankings. Like there yeah. is always still quite a bit of movement all the way up until the draft. Mm-hmm. And uh, Demidov could always bounce right back from that mm-hmm. if he were to fall. But this is all very speculative, right? Like mm-hmm. hopefully, fingers crossed, he's going to be playing back again in, in a week and making this entire segment redundant. But yeah. uh, I think as a more broad discussion of, of players that get injured in their draft seasons, mm-hmm. what's kind of your take on uh, on like players falling a ton on draft rankings for one injury, for instance, like, do you, do, do, would you personally agree with that being like the cautious approach for NHL teams of not wanting to like spend a, a high value asset to get a player that could be having some big injury problems or we might have a big sample of, of viewings to, to evaluate them or what, what, what's kind of your perspective on that? It depends on the injury. Um, especially depends on the nature of it and how likely it is to become a redundant and repetitive issue in the player's career, right? I mean, there, for example, I, I think the the whole Ivan Moroshenko situation with Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, with Hodgkin's lymphoma, I mean, that was overblown. It, it's not a cancer that's necessarily very recessive or doesn't really kind of reappear multiple times in a player's career and metastasize and all that, especially when it's caught as early as it was. 
it's a one and done situation. I believe uh, Phil Kessel had that situation as well at one point in his career. I mean, it's not something that you know he slipped out of the he slipped out of the top kind of twenty twenty five. I I still thought he was a top twenty twenty five player um, in his draft year, um, and I feel like a lot of it was that that situation and how kind of how it scared teams off. But there are other situations as players getting you know their knee blown out or you know their a major major hip surgery or that kind of thing and they're in their kind of draft here like yeah that's going to cause some concern because those are essential parts of your body and skating i mean essentially it's it's your your knee your ankle knees and hips are are those are the three kind of key um pressure points on 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 your body when you're skating right and if any of those get injured um severely and if that injury persists um that your career is in jeopardy And, and any hockey player will tell you that i mean I've seen players have their Achilles torn and, you know, Eric Carlson's a perfect example. Eric Carlson got his, his, his Achilles literally sliced in half by a skate was never the same player after that. You know, if teams could decide between pre Achilles injury, Eric Carlson and post Achilles injury, Eric Carlson, we're talking about a player who is either first overall or maybe not even a first rounder. Um, in terms of what we saw from him overall. So, I mean, it's just, there's so many variables. There's so many different, different elements that can kind of impact what you become as a player. Uh, But I feel like, you know, ankles, knees, and hips are really kind of where the big problems lie injury-wise. Because you can dislocate a shoulder. It'll happen a couple times. That's fine. You can still more or less play hockey. Um, But your legs are just, they're money in hockey. And if if this is the case for Demidov, where it becomes a recurrent thing, Sure, it's, it's it's cause for concern, but we don't have a timeline yet on his return, so we can't really kind of yeah. go too much into it, right? So, yeah, um, that more or less wraps us up for for today's episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe. Leave us a comment, letting us know what you want us to talk about next. And if you're listening on your favorite podcasting platform, make sure to make us your first listen of the day. Uh, for your second listen of the day, make sure to check out Locked On Sports today. I think all your news and updates about what's going on in sports. And make sure to tune in for us next week as we continue our coverage five days a week, uh, Monday to Friday. This is Manhattan Kalakesh with Sebastian High, and we hope you tune in next time.